Yes, in my heart, I want to be a Christian. Deep down inside. That's what the good Lord expects from us. Appreciate that song very much. Appreciate it very much. I have a burden this morning comparing two cities, Paris and London, France and England. I like to share a few events historical events about the reign of terror in Paris and in France. Uh, You can read about it in the Great Controversy. You can read about it in historical books. But you don't read about the story how England and London avoided the same history when the industrial revolution not revolution (laughs) revolution uh, proceeded in England 16 hours working days children working in the factories unhealthy conditions The city was ripe for a revolt, just like the French did it. But what kept England from repeating the same history just a few hundred years later? What was it? Um, Let's go back first, and this will be a short review, just a short one. The reign of terror ruled from September 5, 1793 until July 28, 1794, 11 months. They done away with monarchy. They established republicanism. But there were two factions, two parties. The Girondins, these were the moderate Republicans. The Jacobins were the radical Republicans. And uh, the leader among the Jacobins was Robespierre. Robespierre was uh, in his early 20s a lawyer, very successful lawyer, who secured leadership among the Jacobins and they said in order to save the republics we have to introduce Terror. Now you have to remember 
the monarchy was dissolved, but there were still individuals who favored monarchy. And there were nations around France in Europe uh, that favored monarchy. Armies were surrounding France. So how to cope with this? How to save the republic? Robespierre says the only way to save it is terror. Terrorize the enemy, terrorize everybody who is opposing it. So this was a time when they invented the guillotine or guillotine. You heard about that? Falling eggs. And Robespierre succeeded in executing all his enemies. I mean, that was quite an accomplishment. Until they got him. And the most prominent leader lost his head. It was chopped off like anybody else. Now, historical record says that there were about 300,000 suspects arrested. 17,000 officially executed. 10,000 died in prison without trials, but they say the real number of execution was over 40,000 people. Uh, no lawyer could defend you in the court. There could be only two verdicts, death or life. And uh, many innocent people died. But ultimately... Rob Spear himself lost his life during the reign of terror. Now, I don't want to go into detailed history. Louis XVI, who was a king, was beheaded. His wife, an Austrian princess, who was a queen, was beheaded, and many, many, many people. But the consequences of this revolution turned France into atheism. You remember, they set up an idol in Notre Dame, the cathedral that burned down, uh, what, a couple of years ago, And for a while, all church services were forbidden. All church services. But let me go back a little, about 200, 250 years or so. You read in great controversy that France was vacillating to accept or not to accept the Reformation. Uh, Francis considered the Reformation as 
as help for him. He was not convinced, but the reformers' doctrines helped him to secure his independence from Roman control. So he was politically motivated. Now, just like Henry VIII, you remember Henry VIII, the king of England? The Pope named him as defender of the Catholic faith. He started out as a defender of the Catholic faith. But he had one problem. He had a wife who could not bear a son. Now, in those days, it was extremely important. And uh, so he needed a divorce to get another wife. But the Pope would not grant him a divorce. A couple of years ago, I was sitting in a room with Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, Adventists, and Roman Catholic priests, Hungarian priests. We were together. And the Roman Catholic priest, the Hungarian priest, said it publicly. I, I hardly believe my ears. He says, oh, oh, if only our Pope would have been a, mo a little bit more elastic and granted the divorce for Henry VIII, England would be still Roman Catholic. Of course, it's not the way, but that's his perception. Uh, what happened during the reign of Francis I? His wife was a believer in the Reformed doctrines. He was a politician. And he approached theological question from a political perspective. And brethren, never, never, never do the same. Never do the same. The Protestants wanted to make progress. They felt that the government, the officials are hesitating. Uh, they made a flyer. I mean, flyer in the thousands of copies and put it on every door. And one of these flyers, you read it in great controversy. You know, I'm quoting it. Put it on the door of Francis the first, the king. And what was the essence of this flyer? The essence of the flyer was that the mass is a blasphemy. Now, when he read this flyer, he went into a rage 
And he says, let them be arrested, imprisoned, and executed. And that's the time when the St. Bartholomew massacre started. You, you know the history, St. Bartholomew. You just have to look it up in great controversy. But brethren, let me ask you a question. What was the real essence that really upset the king? The real essence that really upset him was forcing him to make a decision publicly either for the Reformed faith, biblical faith, or for the Roman Catholic faith. And uh, he chose to join the Roman Catholic faith. This past August, I was invited to speak at the Hungarian Presbyterian Church, Southeast, and I struggled with the concept of how shall I illustrate to my Hungarian friends the essential difference between biblical Protestantism and traditional Christianity. So I decided I take two catechism. I have it here. After the service, you can take a look at it. Uh, it's Hungarian, but it's still genuine, okay? This is the Heidelberg Catechism. You can see it's a small booklet. It's only 65 pages. Small booklet, 65 pages. And I have here the Roman Catholic Catechism, newly published in Hungarian. You see, it's much thicker, much bigger, and the page is 641. This was only 60. This is 600. And much bigger pages. So I... I I said to myself, I have to illustrate it so that everybody understands and it will stay with them. You follow me? So I lifted up the Heidelberg Catechism from the Hungarian Presbyterian pulpit to the congregation. I said, this is a small book, 64 pages. And here is the Roman Catholic Catechism, 640 pages, more than 20 times, 30 times 
more. But I said, now I have to tell you, I have to lower this one and raise this one because in spite of the size difference, in spite that this is much smaller, shorter, this is a better one. And uh, you probably like to know I told them why I say this. I said, very simple. The Heidelberg Catechism exalts the word of God as the ultimate authority. Do you follow me, brethren? The Heidelberg Catechism exalts the word of God as the ultimate authority. The Roman Catholic Catechism says tradition is equal to the Bible. And of course, you and I believe that it is not equal, but that's what they teach. And in fact, tradition supersedes the scriptures, if need be. So, end of the service, stand at the door, People greet me, all Hungarian, and there is a husband reaching his hand and says, Hail Mary. I would say it in Hungarian, but probably John would understand only. Jesus Christus. Now, that, that was obviously a Roman Catholic greeting. How, you, how do you respond? Politely, kindly, courteously, yet loyally to the truth. So I said to myself, okay, if you take that Hail Mary greetings, I will finish the statement because that was a quote from Gabriel to Mary. You follow me? So I said, Hail, highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among the women, and blessed is the seed of your womb, who is Jesus. I answered biblically. I quoted Gabriel's word. Uh, You know, it's second highest to Christ, correct? And theologically correct. And I didn't argue, but his response showed me that he got the message. It offended him, and he tried to corner me at the door. I'm glad he didn't have a stone, but I still maintained that this tiny little catechism is far superior to this big one because it exalts the word of God as the ultimate authority. And brethren, let nothing deviate you from that conviction. Amen? We have to stay with it. Now, let's come back to 
the revolution. I lived through dictatorship. At the end of World War II, the Jews were collected, sent to concentration camp, and so on. I lived through that. And then, less than 10 years later, Stalin and the communist practice dictatorship. I lived through that. Uh, if you really want to know what it is like, you read the first chapter in These Averages, A Destruction of Jerusalem. But in modern days, if you like to know more about it, just read the story that happened in Rwanda. You remember? The Tutsis and the Hutus fighting each other. And our own church members were involved, brethren. Our own church members were involved. Sometimes on the wrong side. One million one hundred thousand people killed in Rwanda. And that's in your days and my days, okay? Now, just briefly, let's get back to the French Revolution. What was the tragic consequences? They rejected God. They rejected baptism, Christian wedding, everything. And why was England able to avoid the very same thing when political, economical, social conditions were moving in the same direction? And it was only a question of time that England would have the same revolution. <coughs> we are told by church historians, serious historians, that John Wesley single-handedly altered the history of England because John Wesley was teaching justification by faith but not only forgiveness but sanctification are you with me so far teaching that true justification is more than just forgiveness of sin it's reclaiming from sin, living a new life, an obedient life. And that England did not go the same way as friends is to a great degree, I wouldn't say exclusively, but to a great degree is due to John Wesley and Methodism that they were teaching that justification includes sanctification. 
sanctification. Uh, well, let me give you some references. You know, it's already 12.30. I started after 12, and I know your time is limited, so I will not try to tell you all that there is to be said, but here is the review, special issue. Review, special issue. 1974. I keep it as, as a treasure. 1974. How old is that review then? Mathematicians? Do you have an editing machine? <laughs> no, no. 47, 47, at least 47. And brethren, it is still available at the ABC. Get it. Get it. So it's a special issue called Righteousness by Faith Special Issue. It's still available at the ABC. Righteousness by Faith Special Issue 1974. And tells us that justification includes more than forgiveness. It includes sanctification. To become holy. To become like Christ. Here is another book. I usually write on the inside when I buy a book or get a book. Even if somebody gives me a gift. Recently I got a book from you. You remember? That enticing title, the Tiber. No, no. The Mississippi flows into the Tiber. I preached about that. And a few weeks later I got the book as a gift. But I always have the date and the name who gave me. And I appreciate that very much. Now this is the book, 1990, General Conference. You remember where was the General Conference, 1990? No, it's too heavy burden. It was Indianapolis. I was there, 1990. Final generation. Excellent books. Now, Lower Scarborough, excellent books. Let me quote one or two quotes and then I let you go and have lunch. <clears throat> the righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. There is a world of difference between the two. Imputed, imparted. <coughs> the first is our title to heaven. The second is our 
fitness for heaven. As I read the Spirit of Prophecy, I remember the statement when she says that such and such and such a character, if, if he got into the new Jerusalem, wouldn't feel comfortable in the new Jerusalem. We not only have to get in, we have to fit in. The proud heart, oh, oh, that was from Messages to Young People, page 35. Please remember that quote. Messages to Young People, 35. Let me repeat it. The righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imported. The first is our title to heaven. The second is our fitness to heaven. And we need both. Messages to young people, page 35. One more quote. The proud heart strives to earn salvation, but both are title to heaven and our fitness to heaven is found in the righteousness of Christ. Desire of Ages 300. I'm not going to quote anymore. I enjoyed history I still love history. We have so much to learn from history. So much. October, this is a theological advertisement, okay? But no finance is involved. I'm not benefiting from it, okay? But I think it's extremely important. On October 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, four-day-long Daniel 11 seminar. Two of us going, Tom Davis and Igor Botansky together, we teamed up and going to Berrien Springs, the village church will conduct a four-day-long weekend seminar on Daniel 11. And why is it important, brethren? Let me just stir up your curiosity, if I may, because we are told the Spirit of Prophecy says that Daniel 11, 40 to 45, it's going to be fulfilled again in front of our eyes. Now you go home. I'm not going to read it. It's a scary text. I don't want to scare you before lunch. But Daniel 11, verse 40 to 45, is going to be fulfilled. In fact, fulfilling now the second time. It was once fulfilled. It's going to be fulfilled again. I want to go there. 
And if you cannot, if you cannot, but you have internet access, go to the webpage of the Village Church in Berrien Springs, where the Village Church, not Pioneer, not Pioneer. I think the Village Church is leaving Pioneer behind. I better be careful what I say. Do you know that the village church was instrumental in writing up a protocol where you could sign conscientiously objecting to injections? I signed it. Prominent people signed it. In two days, 10,000 Seventh-day Adventists signed the protest. Two days, 10,000 Seventh-day Adventists, doctors, pastors, administrators. And the number is still growing. The village church is a very aggressively reaching out and taking sides in critical issues. We just studied in the Sabbath school lesson, didn't we discuss it, that had more people objected to building the golden calf, Aaron would not have built it. There are very few martyrs who lost their life in opposing it, but had more people objected to building the golden calf, it would not have been built in a critical time to remain neutral is sinful. Okay, brethren, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your attention. And if you want to greet me at the door with a Hail Mary, you know, I will quote Danny, uh, Gabriel. So we are still friends in the faith, correct? The Lord bless you real good and thank you again. Thank you, Pastor. Our final hymn is going to be 618. 618. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. 618. Stand up, stand up.